Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more billable hours. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Lex Factor. It's your host, Lauren, here. And your co-host, Brad. I'm just doing first name. Oh. She always teases me about first name, last name. Yeah. So I'm just going with the first name, Brad. You've changed this year. I have? Yeah. It's a new year. You know, ma- wanna... You're making improvements. So, you know, you went from first name and last name to first name. And, you know, I'm you know. always trying to look inwardly to always improve myself. to get better. Yep, that's right. That's oh. what it's about. <laughs> Good job. Your parents would be proud. So we're actually here today with Stephen Embry. He, he used to be an attorney. Are you still a practicing attorney, Stephen? Uh, a little, but not much. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But you also are the publisher of Tech Law Crossroads, correct? Right. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, before we get started, just so you know, um, so it doesn't get a little weird for you, I like to tease Brad a lot, and I always applaud when we introduce him. So if you're wondering what was going on, I was just, I was giving him that little pep talk to get us started. So he likes when we applaud for him. I have have low Uh, self-esteem. and so she with the way you did that, I, I, I sort of felt like I should come on and say, "Hi, I'm Steve, recovering lawyer." <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Steve. How long has it been, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how do you how do you handle AA meetings, Brad? I don't know. Why are you, you asking me? I don't know. You seem like you knew how to engage with that. Oh, I don't, Hi, I'm I don't Steve. know. Steve, I'm a recovering lawyer. <laughs> Um, no. a, a funny story. A funny story. When I launched the blog, I uh, I hired a, a a coach, career coach, and uh, I don't. You, you guys may have done that, but the typical what they do is they they ask you to set various goals. And so my my business plan was to to publish the blog, write the blog, and also practice law on on a in your limited spare time. basis, but still. <laughs> In my, yeah, and, and it's still in an active way. So we, she would set, we would set all these goals, and you know, next month there'd be a call, and she would say, "Okay, well, what goals have you achieved?" And I go, "This, this, 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 this," and she said, "Oh, that's good, but what about those goals relating to your to your legal practice?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I did. It was busy. I, I didn't quite get to those this month." Oh, good. So, so that went on about two or three months, and finally she said. Let me ask you something, Steve. Is there a reason that when it comes to the goals relating to your your blog and your your sort of consulting part of your what you do, you seem to always meet those goals, but when it comes to furthering your law practice, you you never seem to quite get to them. <laughs> the writing <laughs> was on the wall. Right. I said, okay, I got it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Sometimes you just need somebody to call you out. Yep, that's right. Yes, that's. I think that's their primary job. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm most curious. Tell me, about, you know, tech law crossroads. Tech, you know, just from the tech side, how did you uh, kind of, you know, get your frame of mind around technology you know, wanting wanting to blog about that, just kind of your background there. Sure. Well, I was a mass tort lawyer on the defense side for most of my career, mm-hmm. which means I had cases all over the country and and was sort of exposed to, you know, more cutting edge things that you might see in those kinds of cases. When I first started practicing law years and years ago, I, I had a, a whole lot of cases uh, that were very sort of repetitive. And I was fortunate enough to have an administrative assistant who was good with process kind of systems. And she helped me put a process in place to move those cases along and and be more efficient. So I got that piece sort of in my mind from the beginning. And then the real light came on when um, 
I was driving to Florida with my family uh, more years ago than I like to say. I had two small kids at the time. They're, they're now grown. And they were in the back seat doing, you know, screaming, yelling what they did. Are we there Dad. yet? And my wife Dad. was driving and I had all these reams of paper that I was working on this brief that had to be filed. You know, and I had papers flying every place <laughs> and trying to concentrate. And but, so I, I set it down and picked up uh, what at that time was a paper edition of the American Lawyer. And there was this article about a lawyer named Fred Bartlett, who uh, was a Chicago lawyer who used to be with one of the big firms, and he went out and set, established his own firm. And they're, even now, today, they're still very much into alternative fees and pricing things that way. But this was, a, Fred was, a, a, I met him years later, he was a real technology kind of guy. And there was a line in the article where he was, they asked him about it, and he goes, well, uh, you know, uh, I'm sitting in my condo in uh, Colorado looking out at the Rocky Mountains as I'm working on a brief that has to be filed in a few days. And I'm thinking, all right. <laughs> my kids are screaming at me in my background. This is for me. Yeah. <laughs> this is for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was the wake-up call right there. It was a, a yeah. coming together of the perfect items to tell you, wait a second, there's an easier <laughs> yeah. way out there. My interest kind of stemmed from there. And ultimately, I got to the point where I was starting to write more and more primarily on LinkedIn and mm -hmm. began to realize that that's what I really wanted to do. Uh, and I'd reached the point in my career where I was able to do that uh, with, uh, you know, I was, I was blessed in a lot of ways to be able to do that. So mm -hmm. I ultimately uh, left the practice of law, at least the, the big law firm I was with and, and became a, a full-time blogger. I usually have my hoodie on when I <laughs> tell that kind of story, but I, I don't have it on today. Um, but but really, my only regret had been I didn't do it sooner, sooner? because yeah. it's just been a, a wonderful experience. And, um, you know, I, uh, I get a lot of energy out of, out of writing about technology, writing about disruption, uh, writing about how I think our profession, the legal profession, could be so much better and so much more rewarding to people than, yeah. than what it is today. You know, I, I have a friend who says, you really enjoy tilting at windmills, don't you? <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I think that's true. But anyway, that's how I got there, which was probably a long, wind, long longer than you wanted to hear no, about. Oh, it's good. Anyway, no, that's, I like, that's I like I, when our guests tell stories. It's much more engaging. But then I also, yeah. I kind of like lose track of time and I'm like, oh, tell me more. Tell me another story. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm on the job, you know? <laughs> So uh, what's your goal? You know what I mean? It sounds like you want to educate, you want to engage, you want to update the, the industry on everything technology, but do you, do you have like an end goal is there, or is there a certain area that really you're passionate about and that's where you want to focus or kind of how do you go about well, determining what you're going to write about? There are a lot of people out there that, that have technology, legal technology blogs. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of uh, legal technology developers and entrepreneurs. You don't often see somebody who practiced law for <coughs> years. I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't hear you. <laughs> you were a bit muffled. Your microphone's a little off. <laughs> you look uh, great a, today, by a, the way. No, I'm just kidding. It's a technical. It always happens when I say that. It's always yeah. a technical glitch. But, uh, but a lot of people don't have that kind of experience um, knowing what it's really like within law firms, bigger law firms, knowing sort of the mindset of, of what people in those firms have. And, you know, uh, one of my goals is to, to try to, to, to help the people that are in legal tech, that are trying to provide goods and services, products and services to the legal industry to, to understand 
the mindset of who their customers are and mm-hmm. what how they view the world. Maybe is a sad way to, that they view the world, but it is the way they view the world. As, as Richard Susskind says one time, it's you know it's hard to tell a room full of millionaires that their business model is all wrong. That's um, true. And on the other hand, on the other side of things, you know, I, I like to talk to lawyers to help them understand what technology and, and innovative ways of doing things can do for them and help them lead better and more fulfilling lives. Um, but yeah, it's, it, that's, that's how I kind of, kind of perceived it from the beginning. And that's kind of how I, I try to keep my eye on those sort of bridging that gap between the technologists, the, the entrepreneurs of, of legal tech and, and the actual practitioners who, you know, it's often two ships passing in the night. <laughs> I like I love that. that. Yeah. Um, so, do you have a lot of these firms that reach out to you too, just for consulting or to dig a little deeper? Yeah, from time to time, I do. Really, I, I hear more from uh, the legal technologists. Um, mm. You know, and it's it's interesting because. Uh, when we used to have shows to go to, um, I, would, I would go <laughs> to shows, like? and, Tell me. <laughs> but I would go to booths and, and I would I would sit down and I, I would talk to some of these people that were had, had products or services they were offering. And, and it, invariably, it would come out of their mouth. Well, I practiced law, so I'm, I'm pretty familiar with, with these. Mm-hmm. I was with a big firm. Mm-hmm. And I, so I would say, oh, that's that's really interesting. That's good. I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of knowledge. Exactly how long did you practice law? with the big firm and what was your position? Oh, I was an associate there for three years. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you don't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> he said it. You not don't have a clue what you're up against here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, that's on the, on the big law uh, side of things, but it's also true, you know, on, on smaller law firms. And yeah. one of the things I like to say to those in small law firms and solos, and I, th- I think when you look at uh, the summary of the uh, ABA Legal mm-hmm. Technology Resource Center uh, survey, you see this big gap between big law, big law firms and small and solo firms, and uh, which is unfortunate in a whole lot of ways. Uh, it, it, one of the ways it's unfortunate is it doesn't have to be that way anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, technology now is is so inexpensive, uh, and you're able to do so much with it that if you if you are a small firm, if you're a solo firm, mastering some of these these skills and using some of these products and services will enable you to do and to compete with mm-hmm. and even be firms. better than exactly. many of the, the big law firms. And it's, it's just this, this crying shame. I think that that small law, so many, so many practitioners in small law firms don't take advantage of what's out there and what they could, could be doing. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason that one of the reasons that's so sad, I think is, is when you go to smaller communities, um, you know, historically, one of the critical citizens in those communities were the small law firms, the small the lawyers in the small firms. They were they were in essence pillars of the community. Um, mm-hmm. They were on the boards. They were on the chamber of commerce. They were on the city council. They were respected members of the community that that drove things. And to see those firms suffering like many of them are financially because 
they, they feel like they can't compete with the larger law firms yeah. of the world uh, is is sad. And it, it it's it's going to impact our society and the quality of justice it already has. And yeah. I think it will continue to do so. Didn't mean to get on a soapbox. No, that's not okay. it's, it's, uh, I was, you know, and it's, it's the same in any industry. I mean, you can make the same argument about small businesses these days. We mm-hmm. need them. You know what I mean? And I even, I hate to drop this number because it just sounds so ridiculous, but over 99% of firms in the U.S. are actually small. And so at the right. end of the day, like we're not singling anybody out. There is so many people in the same situation, like you're struggling, you have a small firm. It's not just you, it's the majority of you, but there's so many with advances in technology and advances in technology this past year alone have just skyrocketed. I don't want to say it's easy to make a difference, but you can easily make a difference in your firm just by looking into a few areas of technology and then it's it's only up from there. You right. Know? Why do you think they're reluctant in, in to the smaller firms? Why do you think they're reluctant to take on technology? A couple of reasons. One, historic. historically, mm-hmm. it was very expensive to do so. Fifteen years ago, if you wanted to go out and start your own law firm, you'd be looking at, what, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 investment in servers and systems mm-hmm. and all that. And mm-hmm. so I think the, the mindset was well, that that all that stuff's just too expensive. Um, that's one thing. Second thing is um, when, when you look at a lot of the large law firms, particularly since I was a litigator, that's kind of view the world through that lens. When you look at what ha- what's happening in the courtroom, you see large law firms with these with these armies of people that are running all the technology, and you you know you you would have to conclude to yourself, well, I can't afford that person sitting behind the magic screen, pushing all the buttons and doing all the stuff. And so, but it must be really complicated and it's impossible to master and I can't do it. And so I just struggle the the best I can. Um, So, so those are two of the factors. And then I I think they don't, uh, they don't grasp the ease with which our today's technological tools can be used. Um, I teach a, um, I'm in a, 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 a defense lawyers organization and have been for, for years and years, mm-hmm. which I will plug. It's called the Federation of Defense and Corporate <laughs> Counsel. Um, but it, one of the things that we set up in that is if we have a, a two and a half day, or we did when you could do these things, oh. a two and a half day intensive training to teach lawyers how to use trial presentation technology. Um, and the, the way we do it, we give them all a, fact pattern. We usually have, would have 20, 25 people, all the same fact pattern. Uh, we gave, laid out on the table, all the technological tools that they could use. Uh, they had to do a, like an orientation in advance. And then we asked them to, to take these tools and give an opening statement in front of the group. And we would spend a day or two working with them, showing how, showing them how to use the technology and, and all that sort of thing. And, uh, most of these lawyers, well, they, they ran every age group. We would have some lawyers 70 years old, uh, not many from huge law firms, some from most of which would be lawyers anywhere from firms from 15 to 50 in, in mm-hmm. size. Um, and the results of it were remarkable how quickly these lawyers, no matter what the age, how quickly they can master some of the technological tools that are available two lawyers. And then the other thing that was truly amazing to see is when they got up to give these opening statements, 
keeping in mind that they had they had figured out the story that they wanted to tell about the case. And then they'd gone over to the table where the tools were and selected the tools that best fit the story they wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, uh, you know, what tools do you have? I'll use them all kind of thing. Right. Because they understood what the tools did. And so these these statements, these opening statements to a person were remarkable Remarkable in how good they were and how different they all well were and how they used all these tools in such a different way and manner. And most of these tools, you know, and I'm not, not talking about trial director. I mean, we don't mm-hmm. we don't use trial director because and that's a good product, don't get me wrong. I mean, but it's a very, very hard product to use if you're not used to using it and don't use it a lot. We would use tools like TrialPad, talking about how to use PowerPoint, talking about how to use Google Maps, for example, all these different kinds of things that are simple and easy to use. And most of the people would come out of these and saying, and say to us, you've changed my life. You've changed mm-hmm. my practice. Um, because now they, they feel like when they go to the courtroom, they can compete with the other firms. larger law firms. Because let's face it, particularly with jury trials, but but even with, with judge trials and hearings and motions, all of us consume information completely differently now than we did 30 years ago. Yeah, and, even and a year you, ago. Even a year ago. If you can't use the tools that people typically expect to be used in educating them and persuading them, then you are at an incredible disadvantage. The intuitive technology that's out there today is just, remarkable, I think. Mm-hmm. And you know, I continue to be optimistic if we can get lawyers to <laughs> use them would be so much for the better. I often tell this story, I give presentations and on technology and almost every single time after I'm done, an older lawyer, it always has to be an older lawyer and I'm an older lawyer, <laughs> he will say, well, that's all well and good, but, you know, technology is too complicated. It's too much. And I pull out my cell phone. And I say, do you have one of these? <laughs> oh, yeah, I use that every day. I, you know, I do this. I answer emails on it. I, you know, I keep my time on it. And I say, okay, well, are you on social media? Well, I'm on Facebook. Oh, are you? you? How often do you say, well, I get on it every day and I use it. I was like, you're using technology, technology. now. Right. You know? It's just that it's just you don't make this connection between, you uh, technology that's simple and easy to use that that consumer product manufacturers mm-hmm. give to us and technology that's sometimes too hard to use that legal tech yeah. provides to us. So Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have your mass technology versus something that's a little more niche. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think you're doing this with the blogs that you write and other things is break down that misconception that, you know, anybody can use technology Anybody can go out there, start to utilizing it to compete with those larger firms to, to improve their day-to-day business. I think that's a, a, a good banner to carry, definitely, being in technology. Uh, and I, again, when I go to these, used to go to these shows, I could walk through the, the showroom floor and stop at a booth and spend about five minutes and say, you'll never sell that product. <laughs> Why not? Because it's too complicated to use, right? Mm. I mean, right. If, if I've got to make five clicks to get to where I need to go, I'm not going to use it. Part of that is because, hey, lawyers bill by the hour, right? Yeah. So every every minute I have to spend, and, and, and these guys, they, they often forget this. Every minute I have to spend learning how to use a product is 
money out of my pocket, right? Because I could be billing a client and producing revenue. That doesn't mean that, that, that lawyers won't take the time to learn to use products, but it does mean, yeah. you know, it, you can't make it hard. You have to make it easy. And I always preach, look at how product manufacturers of consumer products do things and how they, how their products are like your iPhones, your iPads, mm-hmm. you know, right. You Mimic can pick that up model. If, if, yeah. If you've never used an iPad, you know, you can pick it up and master it in, you know, no time. Exactly, you know, yeah. no, consumer products guys like to say, hey, if you have to have a user manual with the product, forget it. Yeah. It won't sell. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> what you're saying, it's like, it's giving me PTSD because I think we heard that same thing so much when we were building Lexicon. We did so much usability testing. You know, mm-hmm. we had real attorneys, right. real paralegals telling us the like, exact same thing. And so I laughed a little bit when you said that, but it's like, just get straight to the point. Like, I don't want to have to click five places to go here. I just want to click there and be done, done. with it. Yeah. And right. I think, you know, not to toot our own horn a little bit, but we just did a, a demo for a potential partner that the other day and we get it all the time she's like it's just easy like it's so easy to learn and like you said at the end of the day it comes down to billable hours you know you guys need Mm -hmm. to focus on practicing law so there can't be any other hindrances out there and that makes me think I want to backtrack a little bit because you were talking about just how people are kind of afraid to uh, adapt new technology. And immediately I thought about how nowadays so much technology is cloud-based. And that's one way that we've made it easy, but also cheap to adopt new technology. So thinking high level, like what else have has happened over the past couple of years from a technology standpoint that really just makes it easy and cheaper for someone to bring new technology into their firm? One thing, and I, I was looking back over my... Uh, my notes and the summary that I did from the survey, which is not going to answer your question, but it was <laughs> a, bit dis- a little disturbing, is um, the amount of lawyers who responded to the survey who would prefer on-premises control or, or mm-hmm. data Hardware, software. Uh, yeah, 34% compared to 16% who per- would prefer cloud-based. Now you're immediately going to say, well, but wait a minute, that does a 34 and 16 doesn't equal 100. <laughs> well, the other bulk of people either said they don't care one way or the other, or say said we don't really know. Huh. That's <laughs> I was like, I'm no math whiz, but that doesn't add up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's a, I mean, disturbing factor is you that's know only six, only 16 percent definitively stated we want cloud based services. Now you have to remember that that this this survey is tilted, uh, skewed toward lawyers that are in smaller firms, just okay. by its nature. If you looked at, uh, say, the ILTA studies on this point, I'm sure you'll find, you know, a lot higher preference for cloud-based. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and if you broke it down by larger firms, even within this study, you would see a big preference for for bigger preference for cloud-based. Someplace I've got the percentage. But but the truth is that that amongst the legal world and as a total ecosystem, mm-hmm. solo, small, mid-size, and large, there's still still a reluctance to, to go to cloud-based, yeah. which is uh, you know, and I'm not sure what the reason for that is, because for God's sake, the rest of the world has been cloud-based for, yeah. you know, years. I was gonna say and, it's going yeah. there anyway. I so think really- I think a lot of times too they don't know that they're doing a lot of things in the cloud either. I think yeah. that's true. I think they don't put it that's together. I mean, 
it, just about anybody that's using any type of Microsoft product, you know, you're using it in the cloud. Right. It's, you know, Microsoft Office 365 yeah. is in the cloud. They just don't know it yet. So that that's acceptance true. hasn't taken that's hold true. yet. And you, it's just like you don't realize some of the efficiencies that you're missing mm-hmm. out on until mm-hmm. you adopt some yeah, new the technology or some and, new operations. And the backups, yeah. yeah. Um, I do have yeah. one question. You had plugged uh, the group <laughs> that you get or that you go to about, you know, showing technology to attorneys. Um, I was curious for those that are out there that are listening to us, what other things are are out there that allows them to, you know, get their hands on those things to get, learn technology? Do is it just those types of groups? Are there other groups? Of course, they can read your blog, but I, I was just curious. What what <laughs> I was just gonna say. There's there's this great blog. <laughs> We're all about plugs here. You know, I scratch your back, well, you scratch mine. There is, but I loved your story about how you, you know, hands on and they actually utilized it and said it. That was a great story. And I was yeah. just curious if there's more out there. Actually I do have a recommendation. Okay. Um, one of the one of the other um volunteer things that I do, uh I'm, I'm only chuckling because uh there was one point in my life when my wife was sort of fussing at me about all the volunteer work. We don't I did. do she that. Said, she said, do you, do you do understand that no is a complete sentence. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe I don't. But I'm a vice chair of the ABA Law Practice Division. And uh, I will be, in a few years, be a couple of years, be actually be the chair of that division. That division has about... 25,000 plus members, ABA, and there is a, a wealth of information uh, that, that, and content that is, that is published by the Law Practice Division on technology. Uh, we run the Legal Law Technology Resource Center, which includes web, uh, 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 blogs, uh, webinars. There's a wealth of information, not only about technology, but practice management, most of it is free uh, if you're a member of the uh, law practice division, which is also free as long as you're a member of the ABA. <laughs> uh, and it's it, for the money. It is, you know, one of the best sources of information mm-hmm. on an ongoing evergreen basis that, that you can find. Uh, many state bars uh, have similar sort of programs um, and, and websites. Uh, the Florida bar, bar has, I think, it, I think they call it Legal Fuel. I think is the name of it. Tremendous website, and, and many of the things are accessible even if you're not a member of the Florida bar. Product manufacturers. It's, it's rare that you will that a product manufacturer will not be willing to give you a demo uh, of any of their products. Um, uh, you guys probably do the same thing. Um, and, and most product manufacturers I've found are are really willing to talk about their product um, and to help uh, lawyers and potential customers not only understand the product, but also what it can do and how it fits into the overall scheme of things. You know, there is a wealth of information out there. Uh, it's just a question of taking the time to, to use it and get it and, and, and work with it. Um, so, you know, now, now I've made my, and as I said before, there's also this other great blog. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, you I'll can do it. it. You can do it. We won't be mad. 
<laughs> so I actually, I was curious as I read the survey, I want to dig into the survey a little bit further. Um, one of the points in there talked about how a lot of the, or, or the main demographic that really had adopted technology recently was your older demographic, more experienced attorneys. And I found that really interesting because I feel like we hear over and over that that's a group that's a little bit more reluctant to to adopt new technology. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, keep in mind, too, that a lot of the respondents were, were part of the law practice division. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that that may be influencing that. A, a was it, was it you? Big, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, uh, 57, I think I think I have the number right, 57% of the respondents to the survey were, had practiced law over 20 years, maybe even over 30 years. Um, and so uh, that's kind of interesting yeah. in and of itself. But the Why, sample size was all experience levels, right? Yes, you were, yeah. okay. the sample size was was all, it, it just for some reason, I think the sample size was about nine, a little over 9,000. Okay. Uh, and of, I think that's still, almost- That's a good number, yeah. And 600, we got 600 responses, okay. um, which is, you know, about what you'd expect, I suppose, yeah. particularly these days when you're inundated with yeah. <laughs> surveys and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I, I think it is a stereotype to say older lawyers or older people in general don't have some technological proficiency. Um and to use a non-legal example, you know, how many, um, how many, if you ask younger people, how many of their parents are on Facebook, it, it would be a, a startling number, I would, mm-hmm. I would dare say. And um, so you might say, well, they're not, that's not being technologically proficient. And I would say, no, it, it is. I mean, you, you, yeah. you are using technology to better your life. Okay, I know what you're going to say. You looking at Facebook <laughs> My may life not better, is better because better. of Facebook. I <laughs> no. did actually, I initiated my relationship with my husband through Facebook. So it bettered my life. You win <laughs> that you time. <laughs> but, but for, and I know how my, my wife uses Facebook. She's, you know, she's not like a technological nerd or anything like that, but she <laughs> keeps up with her family yeah. and, and friends and contacts that uh, she never would have been able to before. Yeah, especially and so, this year, even more. Yeah, especially now. So it, it is using technology to satisfy a need uh, that people have. Yeah. And that's that's really kind of what it's about. So when you say older lawyers it, don't yeah. use technology, they are using it and don't know it. Um, and, and their firms are using it and don't know it. You know, I'm always... Always hear people say, "Well, lawyers hate technology." And I said, "Well, when it comes to billing and firm management, they don't hate technology. <laughs> when it comes to collecting fees, they love right. technology." Right let's now, when it, it up, comes to more. when it comes to automating things that that they would used to be able to bill for, they may not be quite as enthusiastic. <laughs> but but no, when it comes to t- t- technology for running a business and running a law firm. Many of them may not know exactly how it works, but they sure know that that, that it satisfies a need for them, um, a need for their firms. And you, know, you look at the success of, of uh, uh, man- management companies and what they've been able to do in, in, in this in the legal ecosystem. It's you know, it's quite remarkable. It's quite robust. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we sometimes sort of label people 
in in ways that maybe we shouldn't. Now, I do think, again, there is a gap uh, between what I would say the have and have nots. I would call the use use and use nots. Uh, oh, I like that. In the area of, area of litigation between uh, lawyers, small firms, and, and big firms. Uh, and part of that, of course, is just a function of economics, right? I mean, if you're in a 2,000-person uh, law firm and the firm decides to buy a new software program, the cost of that's spread out of so many partners that you know it's not even noticeable. If you have a two-person law firm and you want to do something like that, well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Let's talk about this a little bit, you know, because that's gonna that's gonna directly impact my bottom line this year in a significant way. So that's part of it too. I mean, it's just the economic uh, situation, but again, it's improving because the costs are coming down so much. So I think we've had a really good conversation here, but I am a little curious of you know. Some of the the most exciting, for lack of better words, some of those data points that came out of your survey, I'd love to hear a little bit more of some of the the things that surprised you when you got those numbers back. When it comes to to e-discovery, there's still a gap, I think, between understanding the basics, basic concepts of e-discovery and how pervasive it is in the legal world. It's just looking at the numbers, 56% of the people that responded to the survey said they had had cases that require review and processing of e-discovery. That seems low to me, right? I mean, 56%, yeah. e-discovery is, you know, it's, it's... Pretty standard. It's in every case, yeah. right? I mean, you know, the, the, there's a California ethics opinion that talks about the ethical requirements of lawyers to, to be able to assess uh, whether the case will involve e-discovery from the beginning. And, and I, to me, that's kind of a misnomer. Almost every case, you have to make that determination. And yeah. almost every case does in one way or the other, particularly if you're on the defense side mm-hmm. in these days with social media and social posts. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so that's a that's a big, uh, a big number. Uh, a lot of reluctance to use predictive coding. Now, that could in part be um, because of cost or expense. But let's face it, with the, with the explosion of data, across multiple platforms, a lot of cases, it's almost impossible to do an effective job without using predictive coding to get your arms around the relevant materials and documents, not just for uh, production's sake, but for preparing your, your, your case. Um, 51% of the, of the people responded that they didn't use a review and processing solution uh, provider for e-discovery. Oh, that's huge. That's huge, particularly with the kinds of data that we have now. Uh, almost a, a quarter of lawyers didn't do early case assessments. To me, that's that's staggering, right? I mean, yeah. how could you not do not only for e-discovery purposes, but to to work your case? Yeah, that's very that that one's interesting. I mean, they're all interesting, but that one's interesting. <laughs> I, I used to have a partner who I worked with quite quite a bit. He was sort of a mentor. He was asked one time, what's the first thing that you do when you get a new case? And so you can think of a lot of answers. His answer was, I turn, I, I turn around my chair and look out the window at the river for an hour or two. <laughs> what? I'm thinking about what the case is all about, what the goals are, what the vision of the case okay. should be, how best, what's the best uh, resolution for my client and how to get there. 
I mean, that's kind of an early case assessment. So there's still, um, still, I think, this gap. And, and I used to see it uh, quite often when I was practicing law. I mean, so many lawyers just are intimidated by e-discovery and they don't understand it. You know, and in a lot of large law firms, you see that that piece of it, of the e-discovery part of a case being farmed out to a specialist within the law firm, which, okay, I mean, that that's... That's fine if you have that kind of specialist. So many law firms don't, and lawyers need to be better educated and have a better understanding of, of e-discovery, mm-hmm. not just, again, not just from a defensive standpoint, but from an offensive standpoint. That was surprising to me. I, I, hadn't, um, I hadn't noticed that sort of the, the first, first time around. Um, the other thing I, I did notice is, is that, that technology is still um, – it is – there's more and more use of technology in the courtroom. Maybe it's not so much for trial presentations uh, necessarily, but people, lawyers are using tablets, they're using laptops, uh, they're using mobile, all sorts of mobile devices in, in the courtroom when we used to go to courtrooms. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Tell me uh, more about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish that ever happened again. But, but again, that to, to go back to an earlier point, you know, you say lawyers don't use technology. Well, you know, when you could go to a courtroom, go to a motion hour someday in a courtroom and see lawyers, almost every one of them will have a cell phone out doing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, they may be looking at cute cat pictures on Facebook. But <laughs> most likely, yeah. <laughs> but most of them are are using technology. So that's a reason to be optimistic, I think, about the future. So and keep in mind, too, that this survey was done uh, between March and May of 2020. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the, the, the report in July of 2020. Lots of things have changed. Yes, they then. have. Uh, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see the next time around what kind of responses we get to these some of these questions uh, now that, you know, the pandemic's going longer than we ever thought it would. And it's, you know, things are more dire mm-hmm. and courts are becoming more willing to adopt online kind of proceedings, which to me is one of the more exciting developments. I think that's going to, that's coming out of the the pandemic. And it almost makes you want to do another uh, survey this year and not wait a year, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so Brad and I, we usually like to wrap up each episode with three takeaways, but I actually think I'm going to throw a wrench in that. We're going to do oh, something no. a little, I know it's okay. It's okay. It's I'm okay. nervous. I know we're going to do something a little <laughs> bit different this time, but since you're so versed in, you know, technology and adopting technology and the benefits of technology, I want your opinion. If you could call out Stephen, a couple easy steps at firms who haven't necessarily taken that, that step forward with adopting technology, if they're ready to do it, if they're ready to explore, what are what are some simple things that they can do? You know, whether it's areas of technology they should consider first, maybe resources they consider. How do you take that that first couple steps first into leap. adopting? Well, I was going to say steps. Step. You know, steps leap into adopting new technology at your firm. Well, you know, one of the, one of the soapboxes I often get on is um, back when we had conferences is go to what legal tech conferences? I would go to these conferences, particularly the the, the ILTA kind of conferences, which is more marketed to to big law firms. And mm-hmm. you wouldn't find a lawyer in the house. You would find a lot of IT people, and, and that's great. But lawyers need to be able. 
they're going to use the stuff, right? They need to be able to understand it right. and get a better Agreed, handle on, yes. on this a little bit. And let's face it, you know, IT and tech people speak a different language than lawyers. And, you know, I try to stand in the middle and help both sides of them understand one another, but often they don't. And so you get these things where IT person says, this is a really great product. And a lawyer says, I don't understand it. And access it, it's gone, right? Because they don't take the time to sort of understand what it can do. And the other thing is, you know, I think um, lawyers need to, to better understand what pieces of technology can do. Um, legal tech needs to make the product simpler. Lawyers need to take a little more time to understand it so they don't get frustrated and throw the baby out with the, with the bathwater. Um, from the litigation side, I will say this, and, and uh, you know, w- when we do our training, the first thing we tell uh, the students, if you will, go out and buy an iPad and go out and download and purchase TrialPad, which is a lit software product. Uh, and, and we would get a lot of pushback from that at the beginning because you know, they would say, well, we're not Apple-based, we're Windows-based. Distinction really doesn't fly much anymore. You probably <laughs> know. But the reason we tell them that is because if you picked up, a, as a litigator, if you picked up an iPad that had that program on it, you would immediately figure out how to use it. It is that simple and that intuitive. Okay, so that, you know, and I'm not trying just to plug the product for a particular for a particular <laughs> reason other than uh, Ian's a friend of mine. So, you know, we'll see. We that, do but, limit to five plugs, but, you know, no, I'm just okay, kidding. <laughs> but, but, the, but the point, one of the reasons we do that is we want them to get confidence with technology oh, and yeah. we want them to see how easy it can be. You know, it's like the remember the the ad with the easy button. Let's yeah, say, you know, the trial pad is an easy button, right? Yeah, and so that that generates confidence. So, you know, if if I were if somebody came to me and said I'm a litigator and I want to get more involved in technology, that's the first thing I would tell them to do. You know, go, go get uh, an iPad because you know iPads have revolutionized the practice of law, particularly litigation. I think. Yeah, you can do so much with them. They've um, revolutionized and everything. Start using those kinds of programs for 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 what's out there. So. That's what I can come up with. Yeah, And and the easy, you know what the easy button made me think of? I I heard for the first time and I'm probably way behind here, but I didn't know Donald Trump had a Diet Coke button. Did you guys read that? (laughs) No, I didn't know that. 100% he would hit the Diet Coke button and someone would bring him a Diet Coke. Isn't that crazy? It was red. It was a red button. Brad does the same thing, except it's Coke Zero. (laughs) That is not a plug. That's an accurate. No, just kidding. Um, No, but Stephen, that was awesome. You've been great. Again, I love when guests come in and just tell stories. You're so engaging and you have so much good experience. And so we absolutely love talking to you. So thank you so much for being here. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoyed being here. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning into The Lex Factor, and we'll talk to you next time. Next time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.